0: However, she was looking forward to moving and the house, so I ended up putting her into one of my slow flips. She paid me on it, clockwork, she was fine. She paid late every single month the entire time, but she always paid. So now you have your payment of 875 plus your $87.50 late fee every single month. She completely paid off the house because I have a five-year loan and she stayed over five years. Then she had more babies and needed a bigger house. I put her into another house and she paid another five years, maybe six years. Every month, late, every single month. Every single month late, but she paid. She never got evicted, she always paid, came through. Then she moved into a third house, and again, more babies, and we had to keep finding her a bigger house. And, uh, and this one, she only stayed at maybe a year or two until we didn't have a bigger house for her, and she ended up leaving. Amicably, everything was fine. She found someone with a bigger house. But the part that struck me, which I always talk about, is she paid off, for me, two and a half houses.
1: Yes, but well, that's the part that sticks with me too. Uh we take we have the same takeaway. I am that landlord, uh same <laughs> takeaway from that little story.
2: Yeah, it's true. I love it when landlords start thinking creatively.
1: Yeah, thinking like, hey, I'm actually getting a really good deal out of these arrangements here. (laughs) Uh, Just bear that in mind for when we talk about JD Vance and who's to blame for a lack of housing in this country. But uh, I'm Matt Leck with me as always, Dave Griscom. Hello, Dave.
2: Hey, man. Stoked to be here. Left Reckoning 119. Can hit 120 next week. Really looking forward to that. Um, Got a pretty damn fun show for everybody today. In a little bit, we're going to be joined by Donald Parkinson. Um, to talk about a recent piece they wrote in Jackwood Magazine on Lyndon and LaRouche. Um, also, uh, Donald is at Cosmonaut, Cosmonaut uh, Magazine, which you'll also definitely be checking out if you haven't been reading that before. Um, later in the show, we're going to be taking a little trip here to Texas to talk about some very weird drama going on in the Texas state legislature uh, with our House Speaker Tate feeling.
1: <laughs> Guys, there's video of a man being very under the influence of something in the texas legislature you're going to want to stick around for that
2: um and we'll also be talking a little bit about uh the border and don't forget folks to join us in the postgame patreon.com slash left reckoning we'll be taking your calls and questions and we have some more stories uh to get to there um but before we get to talking about the weird left i don't know if you want to call it left but the weird uh LaRouche cult and why it's come back into uh some level of prominence in the past couple of years. Matt, should we talk about uh, Ron sales tax, which uh, my friend told me was uh, his new nickname that he's been hearing in the New Hampshire area on TV?
1: That's very funny. I mean, we got big news about our boy, Ron DeSantis. It turns out that the uh, uh, political media stimulus project, which is Ron DeSantis's campaign for the Republican nominee for president, is going to happen. Despite it appearing that it will be a pissing into the wind operation uh, with regards to like tr- Trump's favorability, uh, he's going to run, and I think like I think it was Matt Christman who I heard first point this out. But the, the smart politics knowers pointed out that despite all those headwinds, he has to run because he's going to lose political relevance yeah. because he's going to term limit out of uh, Florida governor. So he's running, and this was uh, this is how this is going to be announced. Uh, Musk and DeSantis will host an event on Twitter Spaces, the site's platform for audio chats, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. It will be moderated by our buddy David Sachs. <laughs> David Sachs, uh, inve- venture capitalists, uh, I mean, we've, he's actually become a minor uh, figure on Left Reckoning. He was in that clip uh, with all the all-in boys on that podcast saying, talking about how they're going to flip their cryptocurrency and how they're not holding on to it for as long as they maybe are obligated to uh, and making a nice little profit off of, uh, yeah, speculative profit off of that stuff. Uh, he was also the guy Jimmy Dore brought in to consult about what caused the Silicon Valley Bank uh, run. And why it actually wasn't, you know, it was he and his friends who were calling for immediate uh, uh, government backup of that. We're just actually doing the the, the sensible thing. They don't don't shoot the messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now he's hosting with their boy Elon, M- Meepal Ron's uh, announcement into the presidential sweepstakes.
2: I'm I'm sorry. Like I I just have to say that like this again goes back to my theory that musk is personally trolling me right from everything about him coming to austin and fucking up the state of texas uh to doing this weird ass thing um not only uh with Ron DeSantis but with enemy of the show david sachs i can't <laughs> i can't imagine like honestly they're like putting our like nerd pundit hats on for a second i can't imagine a worse um launch than this for a few reasons one because this Like this shows to me that you should not really be worried about DeSantis being able to knock Trump down because um, who is this appealing to? I mean, this is appealing to very strange, super online right wing folks, which I'm sorry, friends, is not the base of the Republican Party. And Musk, I think, feels that he has been sort of embraced by the right. But he's about to learn a lesson that a lot of people have learned that once you cross trump in the right wing sphere you become persona non grata very 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 quickly um and like you know attaching desantis to the very toxic kind of silicon valley right wing um you know, um uh, biome is going to be a really really beautiful way to watch him crash and burn over the next few weeks
1: yeah absolutely I And mean, like i, I said, I I,
2: say next few weeks i'm sure we'll go on longer than that but um, no it's going
1: to be good content um for us because uh i mean i don't want to skip too far ahead let's just let's not get to you know his competitive competition let's i just want to show there's some merch and it's hard to actually avoid trump because this is actually just a rip- oh hell yeah so uh this is from the Tr- desantis pack so there's they're anxious to point out that uh, this is not official DeSantis merch. So just his fans putting out DeSantis 2024, make America, Florida. And it, Florida spelled with like the state as the F, which doesn't remotely <laughs>
2: look like the letter,
1: you know, give you F. Um, and But that's just like directly like make America great again. Like, oh, where'd you get that idea? Make America, Florida. Like, come on, man. Um, there's also... Okay, so we need to get to the real thing, though. How is Trump uh, actually fielding this? And, well, the answer is hilariously. Uh, just landed in Miami, sources tell CBS News, DeSantis will meet, blah, blah, blah. A Trump advisor today on DeSantis. Announcing on Twitter is perfect for Ron DeSantis. That way he doesn't have to interact with people and the media can't ask him any question. Um, so, like I said, like again, just real... Uh, the, the main substance of this will be basically... Th- content for us Mm -hmm. because DeSantis is going to be like pied in the face over and over again by Trump uh well uh, it's it's, it's
2: like thinking about like politically like here's the thing here's here's what's in front of DeSantis right now is like Trump has a very strong base as a lot of people are very passionate for him right who are the voters that DeSantis can try to pick up the more that he tries to you know play to those more right-wing kind of Trump voters the less successful he's going to be, right? Because those people are so loyal to Donald Trump. Um, And the more that he has to play to try to win some favor with those voters, the more he turns off the people who he could maybe win, right? Which are those kind of like moderate, um, you know, relatively moderate, like Republican, traditional Republican voters, suburban voters who don't like Trump's antics, right? They don't like being associated with Trumpism, right? And because... um, He's got to, you know, play this game. Um, you know, he's just going to, I mean, he's going to be crashing and burning. And the the, the thing that's going to be, you know, incredible is to see what happens with Tim Scott in this race. And now if you want to talk about somebody who has no chance in hell of winning a Republican primary. It's Tim Scott. Um, but Tim- He's
1: running to endorse later on.
2: Yeah, but Tim right. Scott also gets to be the avatar of like the sensible, reasonable Republican too. So like that lane is completely close to Donald Trump as well. I mean, to to DeSantis as well.
1: Yeah. Um, there's one other thing uh, I think we should be uh, to consider. And Hillary is, you know, Hillary, she warned us. And she's yeah. warning us again. And here's what she has to warn us about. And, you know, brace yourself. Ron DeSantis' ultra MAGA Florida isn't safe for people of color, LGBTQ plus people, or even multi-billion dollar corporations. So, I mean really keep really make give us key and you saw like
2: i don't know if you saw but like nikki haley um former governor of south carolina um who also is somebody who they keep on floating as a potential presidential candidate um Uh she's also come out and said um to disney specifically that he would be really happy to see disney move to south carolina now there's no chance in hell um disney's like i'm good yeah yeah i california (laughs) 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 but um you know like um the, the kind of like being able to like you're, you're not going to beat um the, these guys DeSantis or trump on being more pro-business than them basically um and it's going to be a really really goofy game to see the republicans try to slide themselves like whoever like rick perry we talked about him last week during the post game like rick perry might jump in again uh to sort of come at trump which i again think would be very funny i hope it happens um, because rick perry is enough of a character and unlike most of the other republicans at least has like a little bit of stage presence um to be able to come at trump it could be very funny to see um but no i think that trump really does have this one in the bag um even more than you know we might have thought like six months ago i think desantis desantis's pre-campaign has been a disaster basically and what he tried to do in florida was try to shore up his his conservative credentials by pushing all these laws for these really horrific laws right which again is like while it's important to like you know it's funny and we can laugh at it the thing that's really scary about all these political careers of freaks like desantis who have a lot of power right now is yeah. to try to shore that position up even if it's a fool's errand they harm a shitload of people in the meantime
1: yeah And I'll I'll say it like if I had to if I have to prefer one or the other I prefer Trump I think it says worse things about America if a guy who was a Gitmo lawyer and some sort of culture war freak wins them like a celebrity because we have a celebrity culture like I think Trump is easier to explain away than oh shit DeSantis (laughs) like I I I want DeSantis to face plan as hard as possible as quickly as possible
2: okay well. If y'all just give us one second, um, we'll be right back with Donald. If we play music for just thirty seconds, Matt, and we'll be right back, folks. Cool. All right, friends, um, here we are. We just had to take a quick break so we could have everything set up. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about Lyndon LaRouche. If you all remember, um, about a few months ago, we talked about this weird MAGA communism um, (laughs) scenario, right? Um, That's going on with a lot of, I don't know, YouTubers. And it's a weird online fringe thing, but it comes from this very strange, but a movement that has had real effect and has caused a lot of damage. Um, This movement led by uh, Lyndon LaRouche, who is no longer with us. Um, We're gonna bring on right now, Donald Parkinson. Donald Parkinson um, wrote a great uh, piece in Jacobin Magazine called How Lyndon LaRouche Said Goodbye to Marxism and Hello to Crazy. You can also read Donald's work at Cosmonaut, um, which y'all should definitely be checking out if you haven't read it before. Donald, thank you so much for joining us on Left Reckoning this week.
3: No, thanks for having me. This is uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, actually. I I drive my family nuts by going on and on about Lyndon LaRouche. And then, like, when I got this article published in Jacobin, they were like, oh, wait, so maybe there actually is, like, something to your strange obsession if Jacobin (laughs) wants to hear about it. so.
2: Well I mean I mean you've been vindicated um you know your obsession has been vindicated in a way it's a different subject but I remember when Bronco um our friend Bar- Bronco Marchetti put out his book on Joe Biden during the 2020 primary when it looked like Joe Biden was completely dead I remember talking to some friends behind the scenes and them saying like oh I feel bad for Bronco he just published this book and like you know it looks like Joe Biden's done and then of course you know Joe Biden becomes president. Yeah, um, yeah you know that, yeah. <laughs> your obsession with Lyndon LaRouche unfortunately has also proven uh you know to be uh um, you've been forward looking because for some reason after he's gone Lyndon LaRouche has had some sense of a resurgence. Um could you tell people, I mean, we're gonna be talking about his history and stuff, but like, if you're somebody who has no idea who Lyndon LaRouche is, could you give people a general sense of, of what he was and what he represented?
3: Yeah, well, you know, I wrote about Lyndon LaRouche back in 2019, actually, when he died for Cosmonaut because, you know, I've always found these kind of fringe cult-like figures to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And the Lyndon LaRouche is especially interesting to me because he's someone who started out on the far left on the new left, actually, and you know, he was, um, you know, he was a Marxist, and I think um, if you read Lyndon LaRouche's early writings, there is no doubt at all that he was a, a an actual Marxist. Even though you know he will deny, you know, he would deny that later on and say that he was just doing deep cover entryism in the new left. But um, you know, he was a um, a Trotskyist at first. Um, he was in the U.S. Army and stationed in India. And during World War II, where he met with the, um, he met some Indian Marxists and um, he he came into conflict with them because he thought that they um, should uh, have organized an immediate insurrection against the, uh, the British. Mm. And he um, found himself in agreement with um, the Trotskyist movement. And so back in the United States, he becomes acquainted with the uh, Socialist Workers Party, which was the main Trotskyist party at this time. And um, so he basically becomes a Trotskyist figure within the SWP, and he also becomes a management consultant for businesses where he um, helps businesses develop automation technology and various kind of management technology. Where he actually becomes somewhat of an expert on the inner world of all these um, these big um, you know monopoly capitalists and the technology and kind of cybernetic ideas that are getting popular within. He circles at the time, but he's also writing bulletins for the SWP and um, kind of becomes a, a one-man faction, like you know, within the group. He eventually um, kind of comes into conflict with them. There's, you know, as as Trots do, no offense to any you know Trotsky's comrades, but you know, they split. He ends up in some uh, a, a, like um, some split off from the SWP with um, Jerry Healy, who goes on to um, basically form a cult of his own. That's infamous for um sexual abuse mm. that's a whole other story but um eventually he finds himself that he is a party of one and that um you know he is just too original i think or too brilliant of a marxist to really fit in any party so he kind of develops a following um an sds at columbia university mm.
2: could you remind people what sds is
3: yeah students for democratic society it was the biggest youth movement in the United States to oppose the Vietnam War. And, um, you know, it was fighting, you know, for democracy, free speech, and um, a kind of homegrown American socialism, you know, when it starts out and it becomes progressively more Marxist. And there's all these different Marxist factions fighting within SDS. There's on the Progressive Labor Party who are kind of like Maoist, but very focused on like, on, you know, industrial organizing, like sending students into the factories to do that kind of work. And then you have like the revolutionary youth movement who are more um also Maoist, but more like into like, you know, black nationalism. And
4: mm-hmm. you
3: also have um the um the weather people, the weathermen who you know famously become you know an armed struggle group that you know bombs government buildings and stuff like that. But um LaRouche, you know, he wasn't really into a lot of this Maoist stuff. He wasn't really into um a lot of that kind of stuff. His um group is really in the roads of Luxembourg actually. So they're kind of like a weird, like, you know, post Trotskyist, like, you know, they're very much like into the intellectual side of things. Like he's very much recruits, you know, a lot of young students who are, you know, not necessarily gonna go work in a factory, but like want to kind of, you know, have a professional career, but, like, still get to, like, be a Marxist intellectual. So instead of, like, sending his, you know, recruits into the factories, they go and, like, picket landlords and queens and stuff like that. And so he's developing his following around SDS. And, um, you know, one thing that's interesting is, you know, LaRouche, his first big conflict of the new left is over the Ocean Hill-Brownsville strike, which was, um, you had um, the American Federation of Teachers go on strike against a – a community control of schools initiative led by um various puerto rican and, and black groups and so this is like you know most of sds was on the side of the community control initiative but larouche's faction is like infamous for siding with the teachers union which was like kind of considered a hate strike in a lot of ways at the time there was a lot of racial animus mm. that was going on there and so you know he kind of makes a name for himself as like this workerist like um you know we're not going to like you know we're against these um this new left identity politics type stuff which is a complicated issue but um you know you kind of you know you can kind of see the beginnings of this rightward lurch word like very much from yeah. the beginning but you know basically what happens is they um he forms his own group the national caucus of labor committees out of the collapse of um of SDS which is um you know his kind of his vanguard group and you know they're very much you know uh, they have this idea that they're you know, a very tight-knit professional vanguard group that's going to like lead you know america to revolution on a wave of mass strikes you know they're very into this idea that um you know capitalism is going to enter crisis mode there's going to be like a total breakdown of the economy and there's going to be mass strikes and it's going to take a small disciplined group led by you know most brilliant intellectual in america lynn marcus as if he, he's he goes by the name lynn marcus at this time but um mm. which is kind of a, apparently a, a reference to lenin and trotsky something like that um so yeah he's very much like um you know he's 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 you know kind of your stereotypical like the, you know the stereotypical idea of like what a leninist like vanguardist like sectarian type is i guess would be like um what we're looking at here and you know I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what Lenin's actual ideas on organization were mm-hmm. I don't think that um this is you know an accurate representation of that but um
2: so well, I mean I think this is why LaRouche is like and we're going to get to some of the contemporary stuff in, in a little bit but this is why LaRouche is interesting because again like you know like the obsession with Rosa Luxemburg like you know we, we we're big fans of some of Rosa's work we've covered right, it a lot same, of the same you know and like that's the thing about like LaRouche then and then some of the people who might be pick up the mantle later is like, you know, they'll cling on to like, you know, uh, like a real radical intellectual tradition um, and hold it as if like they're the ones who are the only ones who sort of understand it, regardless of what weird avenues (laughs) they're using it to justify. And I just think for a casual listener, I think this is one of the lessons to gather from LaRouche. It's not saying that like, oh, because LaRouche, you know, was like a leftist or like, you know, like Lenin or or Roses, like, oh, that means those people, those theorists are bad. Um, right. more, it's like This is a very, very clear example of how somebody can hold on to something um, and sort of be like, I am the vanguard. I am the intellectual leader. I'm the only one who understands these things correctly. Anyone who questions me is dangerous, is a revisionist, is a counter-revolutionary. And like you see this and it gets progressively worse over time
3: right right and that's partly why the name of my first article on larouche was larouche a warning for us all mm-hmm. because i think a lot of young marxists today could see something of themselves in the followers of larouche you know like yeah. um, there is there was something kind of intellectually stimulating there that um you know a lot of people were, were probably attracted to for le- legitimate reasons i think um you know larouche wrote a whole book dialectical economics which is his um, take on on Marxist political economy and philosophy, which is, you know, I checked it out, you know, from my university library years ago to, you know, to see what it was all about, because there was this, um, this guy, Warren Goldner, that I used to read a lot, who, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has a publication, Insurgent Notes. He's kind of a left communist type. Um, but he was part of LaRouche's group back in the day. And he still recommends dialectical economics. As like an intriguing marxist text to this day and you know i took a look at it a lot of it honestly went above my head because a lot of it's like about like german idealist philosophy like you know which i'm kind of starting to finally like understand a little bit but you know there's a very high intellectual level here Mm. and it wasn't you know just a total insanity but you know the total insanity doesn't take long to begin with larouche um
2: no, I mean, just, I mean, I want to get back to sort of progression story, but I mean, another funny one is like David Horowitz, um, who people might, might know as like a right-wing right, right right uh, crank. You know, was a was a pretty legit Marxist for a while. And you can read some of his stuff, his, his theoretical works. I mean, it just it's it. Larouche isn't alone, in, in at least in the American context of you know these kinds of like leftist intellectuals who just embrace some weird right-wing stuff. But I mean. Could you talk a little bit more about like, okay, so you know, we started to develop like LaRouche is able to develop, you know, this group of people around SDS, a name for himself. I mean, um, you know, uh, you know, bring us bring us through through the next few years after that.
3: Yeah, so you know, you get, you know, there's this whole um, you know, the issue with the, the ocean hill Brownsville neighborhood strike and all that. Um then you kind of get into these weird campaigns of um you know, going after, for example, the um, there's a kind of a black nationalist poet guy, Amiri Baraka, mm-hmm. that was popular around this time in Newark. And the LaRoucheites would, you know, went on these campaigns against him where they kind of, you know, had these very racially charged, um, you know, uh, epithets that were used. And um, they start kind of getting into this very um, conspiratorial mindset where you know all of their enemies are cia or kgb because they also kind of have this um anti-soviet aspect you know they they think that the soviet union is also like kind of um you know just as much an enemy of the workers as you know the u.s government and so you know you start getting into like they they actually have training camps by like 1971 where they're like training like militias and stuff apparently i don't know that much about it but mm-hmm you know, there was, you know, this kind of, you kind of start seeing the kind of culty aspects developing, and, um, you know, uh, there's this um, attempt to um, recruit Black youth in the ghetto, actually, which is interesting, where they're, like, publishing all this stuff with, like, insane, like, racial stereotypes, but also, like, recruiting, like, young Black people to, like, go after their, like, enemies and stuff, so... And that's actually another kind of thing you'll see when they get more anti-Semitic They'll like, you know, it'll recruit Jews and then like use that as a cover for like mm-hmm. spreading like the most like, you know, insane anti-Semitic rhetoric. But um, you get, you know, this kind of, um, you know, you, you kind of see the beginnings of it, but it's really in like 1973 with Operation Mop-Up where it really gets crazy. There's this rivalry with the CPUSA they have where um you know there's this welfare rights organization that they start and the CPUSA is against it and you know there's confrontations between the two groups like they go to CPUSA meetings and try to crash them and CPUSA kicks them out and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of tension with the CPUSA and you know LaRouche's whole thing is that the CPUSA is compromised and it's you know it's it's you know the CIA has infiltrated it and so we need to wage a total war on the cpusa and so you know they launched this thing called operation mop up where they you know train their cadres to basically um violently attack cpusa members and um you can read all about this online there's all kinds of stories about people getting beat up and mm-hmm. you know, they'll storm meetings of nunchucks and you know yeah it's and like, like
2: pretty serious violence too right not yeah, just like yeah. oh they're interrupting a speaker like they're coming in and they're they're smacking people about
3: right right and so you kind of get this type of thinking where you know the rest of the left is actually the main enemy
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like
3: you know the 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 real ruling class is is actually kind of the left. like the existing far left are entirely co-opted by the ruling class you know and um you know we are the only true Marxists, and so by like attacking the CPUSA you know these are legitimate targets you know and so you get you know you get this this is almost like a test of loyalty to LaRouche as well it's like you know people stick around for some of the crazy stuff before this but it's like are you willing to like pick up like a baseball bat and like go beat up some like random CPUSA members for this group and that's kind of a test of loyalty for a lot of people and so yeah you know it's.
1: It, it's wild i came across this article from uh, 1977 august uh, from washington post it's called like when left goes right uh, and i'll share it here um or here's some sections uh, from it um, one of the most volatile and militant groups in the country nclc that's the laurie group has until recently preached that it was on the verge of leading america to socialist revolution and smashing the quote rockefeller carter cia controlled proto-fascist state right right <laughs> Um, In an abrupt switch last year, it began to mute the talk of revolution and said it must now push instead for a creation of an industrialist capitalist Republic under a Whig government with a 19th century Hamiltonian banking system. Right. right. Socialist state will apparently come later, but this is a part like when they, when you say like they're literally beating people with bats, accusing them of being CIA and their association. So Lyndon H. LaRouche and CLC's leader and 1976 presidential candidate has hired as his personal security advisor, Mitchell L. Werbel III, Mm -hmm. an Atlanta based firearms manufacturer and fervid anti-communist, who assisted Cuban strongman Florencio Batista until Fidel Castro's takeover in 1959. LaRouche claims he is an assassination target of the Maoist Bader meinhof Organization in West Germany and needs protection. Yeah,
3: no, it's 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 really crazy how you get this shift, you know, because, you know, in pre, like, you know, after, you know, before Operation Mop and during it, the CIA is still the main enemy. And around the same time, this is when you get the brainwashing, incidents mm-hmm. you have the famous Chris White affair where um, they basically like create this whole situation where this member was supposedly brainwashed by the CIA and the um, the group had to like de brainwash him but really like the de brainwashing is you know their own attempt at brainwashing and I mean <laughs> you know I don't really think that brainwashing in the strong sense is totally real like mm-hmm. I think, you know you can put people under immense psychological pressure and break them down but i don't think we can like reprogram them to like do whatever you want them to do at least as far as i know i haven't really seen evidence that that's possible
4: but mm-hmm.
2: you do have yeah. these
3: like attempts like we'll i mean i'm probably like, the-
2: like when a group like this it's like we gotta like <laughs> unbrainwash you <laughs> like you're you know the yeah
1: rest yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, There's a certain amount of group conditioning going on yeah yeah
3: yeah it's really when you start getting into total cult territory here is when you you know you have these de brainwashing affairs and you know it's all it's always about shadowy intelligence operations you know influencing mm-hmm. things and obviously intelligence operations do happen they are real you know i'm not denying that but there is this um this this absolute unhinged irrational paranoia about it and larouche is feeding off of that because i mean this is when co pro is going on there obviously is real stuff mm-hmm. happening so you know there is a kind of um paranoia that's legitimate that rouge can feed off at this time
1: well as alex jones said about david Icke, uh he's a turd in the punch bowl with some of his theories that the sort of (laughs) what people should be recognizing like it's interesting how that works
3: yep and Um, um you know it's uh it's interesting because with this whole chris white affair you know, they, um, they went totally public with it. we going to newspapers and stuff saying like, oh, the CIA like brainwashed one of our members and we need to do something about it. Like, you know, and, um, uh, so it starts getting crazier and crazier. And, you know, you have the operation mop up stuff going down and then that's when like, after that is when like, you see this kind of like anti rockefeller coalition type thing going on where mm-hmm. it's like, well, now, you know, the real threat of fascism is that the Rockefellers and, and Carter and um you know the democratic party are trying to take out nixon and to um you know establish this fascist dictatorship and so they come up with this whole theory that you know the the right can be divided into like two factions there's like the establishment friendly right that are the enemy and then there's the kind of far populist right Hmm. that can be like allied with against this oncoming like fascist dictatorship of you know the Rockefellers, and so that's how you start. You know they end up working with um, people like the Grand Dragon of the uh, KKK, Robert Miles. You know someone who was convicted for the crime of bombing school buses in protest of um, racial integration policies. So they're they're allying in these anti-busing coalitions with the KKK, for example. Um, you have these. Uh, you know, you have people like Mitchell Werbell, as you mentioned. They start hooking up with him, and he's incredibly sus. <laughs> he's you know, he's a, he was like an arms dealer basically. Like he invented a silencer for a machine gun. Mm. He made a lot of money off of that, but he was also um, he was involved in the Bay of Pigs. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I
1: think a lot of the Castro plots, he was like a point of contact.
3: Yeah, yeah and you know during this time i will say during operation mopa for example like the CPUSA was accusing the larouche people of being cia but as far as we know there's actually no evidence that they had any real contact with the cia just that doing point, a pro
2: bono yeah they
3: were yeah yeah exactly they were just being like a, a crazy cult and um you know but they do start making connections with the cia after mm-hmm. this and they they changed they kind of you know developed this whole strategy of um we're going to um you know kind of move towards the populist right they started working up with hooking up with a willis cardo of the liberty lobby mm-hmm. who was like a famous holocaust denier for example and you know he um he's a big uh, influence on in the modern far right as well and so they started working together and you know i think um you know a lot of ways you know working with all these far right people kind of gave them an in with a lot of cia people because it was a way to kind of show, shows like we're not you know the crazy like loony marxists that we used to be like you know we're you know we're a different group now you know but really until like 1976 i'd say they still do kind of portray themselves as a marxist group mm-hmm. it's just that they're like you know trying to um save america from deindustrialization for example through this kind of um this uh you know we, we kind of have this theory that like you know finance capital is like taking over which is you know kind of true let's face it like you know there is some real changes in the economy going on at this point and you know there is this, you know, this financialization going on so they kind of come up with this idea that we need to like ally with like productive capitalism
4: mm-hmm.
3: to promote growth and re reindustrialization of america against finance capital which is you know you see a lot of that kind of stuff in like fascist economics honestly but mm-hmm. um so they start you know moving in this direction um you know and they they uh they start promoting fusion energy which is interesting because it's you know like oh fusion energy that's a good idea you know i think we
1: would love it yeah Yeah.
3: no, i'm pro fusion i think you know we should be researching it i think um you know it would be great if we had people's fusion for socialism so you know so he starts recruiting like scientists who are you know researching fusion energy and stuff through his like fusion energy foundation and um later on this this gives him an in with the reagan administration because you know reagan is is looking for nuclear scientists to um you know develop stronger weapons against the soviet union and so um you know this is a way for larouche to kind of build his connections with um people who are basically in the cia in the reagan administration were hardline cold warriors
2: so So like, uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, like the timeline, because like, there's all this very serious stuff with, with LaRouche, but it's worth mentioning. There's, um, a lot of like, really like, not just like bizarre, but like very funny fixations that they have. Um, one of them is he's very into Greek philosophy and you might have to correct me if if I'm wrong. Is it Plato's the bad one? Aristotle's the good one. Right. Um, Right.
3: Yeah. He has this, um, he made a total shift philosophically around like 1978. Okay. Um, with this um, it's like the secrets known only to the inner elites is kind of the the pamphlet he writes that kind of announced this new like philosophical turn. but yeah, it's basically like history is like a battle between two conspiracies. There's a the conspiracy of the oligarchy, which is Aristotle and and then there's the, the conspiracy of the um, of the humanist, which is Plato. Mm-hmm. And so you know, he, he comes up with this whole, narrative of history and this whole narrative of philosophy which kind of you know it's very ingenious in a way because you can kind of arbitrarily change it to like, ally with whichever groups like <laughs> happen to like accept you it'd
2: be good in, like a fantasy novel do you know what I mean like if you created an alternate universe and you want to have like a crazy secret coalition that's actually behind most of history like it'd be interesting but like it's completely ludicrous <laughs> it's like a, it's a theory of history um oh yeah yeah there's that and then um you know i i was mentioned before we went live the singing thing um yeah yeah, i'm not an expert in this but there's like an old way of singing um, that they used to do an opera and they stopped doing it in the 20th century and larouche is like we have to go back to this older style singing. i wish i had the uh, the only way i could explain it would be by trying to do it myself and i'm not going to do that live
3: <laughs> yeah larouche there's this whole thing about verdi tuning that they um promote where like you know that the tuning was all changed by the nazis and we have to return to verdi tuning and this you know they were very obsessive classical music you know even mm-hmm. from the beginning like they're kind of Thing. they had this whole anti-counterculture kind of aesthetic or it's like so well, we're not like all these hippie new leftists like we you don't like listen beethoven. to Bob Dylan and rolling stones we listen to beethoven and, yeah. and Verdi, and you know we're cultured you know they're very into this idea of like you know propagating like classical humanist culture which you know i'm not trying to dunk on like that stuff at all you know i think that's obviously important as part of the treasures of humanity but you know they kind of have this classic conservative like fixation on that stuff and is very hippie bashing anti-counterculture like they're big in the conspiracy about the Beatles were like a project of the tavistock oh Institute that's good the queen of england to like promote drug culture and promote the drug trade and so
2: that's where the queen comes into
3: yeah yeah i mean it's it's it really is like you know the queen of england kind of does become like you know the uh, center <laughs> of this whole conspiracy (laughs) oligarchy you know because like as I mentioned before LaRouche you know he he gets started on his political journey with um in India where you Mm -hmm. know he, he witnesses the British occupation of India firsthand you know and so you know he is right that the British Empire is an evil and some terrible institution you know but the british empire doesn't control the world anymore it's Mm -hmm. the u.s empire now after world war ii it was you know the, the hegemon became the united states so in a way the whole british empire fixation in my opinion is like a way for them to like kind of save america because they can kind of, like, say that, like, you know, really the problem is the British Empire and the American Empire is really just, like, the British Empire's proxy, Mm. and it's really the Queen of England and, and, you know, the City of London financiers that are controlling everything, and, you know, which isn't to say that, the you know, Britain doesn't still play an important role in imperialism today, but it's... The American Empire is on top, and, you know, there is this kind of idealization of American past, and the American system of economics you know there's this very strong american patriotism and terrible terrible views on native americans you can find some of their writings on this you know this whole you know very much this kind of idealization of america as mm-hmm. a um as an institution and
2: which as we're building up to you know <laughs> is some part of uh, some of these new variations of this but i i have to not yeah. to yeah. share so I just this, wanted the or- comment. Oh, go ahead, David. This is really fast. Just and, and bring us back in on a serious thing. Our good friend Chip Gibbons was telling me, and I don't remember the timing of this, um, that the LaRouche people got a bunch of Italian uh, opera singers um to endorse returning to like yeah tuning yeah and they had they have no idea like what you know what this group is so they were doing all these videos in you know in English we were like we got to return to like the arts of the classics and the Rouge people are like see you know the Italians are with us now too
1: <laughs> that is the funniest that that <laughs> like we're we've been tuning the music wrong the whole time that's such it seems like such a classic cult thing of like if this is a test, if you can orientate yourself to like com- basically uh, agree that you've been hearing music wrong, uh, then you know we got gotcha. you. <laughs> um, that is that that's that's yep, very yep. funny.
3: No, I mean I think um, these kind of cult or cult like groups or ideologies, you know, they always have these kind of like tests. It's like if you can get and it's mm-hmm. a way. You know, it kind of reminds me of QAnon. You know, it's like yeah, it's, it's a way of showing your loyalty to the movement. It's like you know. If you if you believe in, in this crazy thing, like if, you know, I believe in you know the um, you know that um you know, Hillary Clinton drinks the blood of babies or whatever. Like it's like a way of like you know I actually do believe this. This is like oh what I'm all about. You know it's like a way of like being like I'm in, I'm part of this movement. Like I'm not afraid to like stand against the mainstream and and you know um, yeah say what I really think. You know and. and
1: yeah, like, not, I mean, people me gonna, gonna of, judge me
3: as crazy for saying this, you know. So I'm, uh, it's like a way of showing your loyalty, you know,
1: and then it reinforces community. Like, I always get like people act surprised that there are flat earthers online, and to me, it's like, well, one, there are two answers to the question flat or not flat. Um, and if you've picked the one that not very many other people are picking, you do get a community and a whole bunch of people that are like, you're right, and you actually have some key secret knowledge. Like, it's not a surprise psychologically,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you bring us, because I, I want to get to some of this contemporary stuff, too, and, and don't want to run out of time, but can you get us, you know, through the 80s? Um, and Right, and so yeah,
3: the 80s, you know, is when LaRouche basically becomes Ronald Reagan's like, you know, big, like, um, he becomes basically, a, you know, a, um, a cheerleader for the Reagan administration. He um, creates a lot of connections to um, people within the Reagan administration, and he Basically, um, you know, LaRouche actually he claims that he came up with the idea of the Strategic Defense Initiative or Star Wars, which is like, you know, the idea we're going to build giant space lasers, and you know, he he had all these crazy fantasies of um, total war mobilization against the Soviet Union, and you know, and so he makes all these connections with the CIA, and um, he, he gets a lot of his people involved in pushing the you know, Star Wars program. At the same time, they're running people in the Democratic Party, especially in around like, you know, middle America and the Midwest are kind of running as like kind of like populist like, you know, Democrats like we're going to like kick the drug dealers out of town. And, um, you know, we're we that was one of our big things was like going after drugs. Um, you know, we're going to um, put AIDS patients in, in camps. Which was one of the actually something they campaigned on and they actually <clears throat> got a referendum on it in california which was thankfully defeated but um you know basically like running as like far-right like democrats mm-hmm. and they actually were able to win some elections and i actually begin my jacobin article kind of detailing that so um
2: yeah in, in chicago
3: yeah yeah so they create a big controversy in the Democratic Party in Chicago because they actually are having some mild like as success within the Democratic Party and um they're also running all these insane scam operations to finance the whole thing
2: yeah I should have they're, asked how they were financing themselves. yeah
3: like they're calling up old ladies and being like we need all of your money to like you know to help Ronald Reagan like defeat the communists like so please like, hand over like <laughs> Your savings and we'll um you know make sure you're awarded yeah. or whatever for your services to america so they're just scamming all these people there's all kinds of elaborate scam operations they're running and basically at this point they've created what essentially is a, a private intelligence service and it's global in reach like they have people in sweden who were connected to the assassination of olaf palme they have people in mm-hmm. mexico they have people all in Egypt. west germany they have people all over the world at this point like you know, building this whole network that um is essentially like a, a mix of scientology and the cia right because you have this strange ideology you know there's a lot of psychological type stuff going on you know we can read larouche's house Rouche wrote all these writings like was called beyond psychoanalysis it's all about like um you know the inner workings of the mind and how to master it and So he's building this whole global network, really. And, uh, you know, he's doing work for the CIA in South Africa, even. He had connections to the South African government. And so in a lot of ways, you know, he's basically created this private intelligence agency is really what it is. And Mm. obviously there's a lot of funding required for this, you know. And to fund it, you know, there's obvious scamming, all this fraud. And that's really what gets him in trouble with the law. And so eventually he does and get convicted and sent to prison for his um for what is it, for all the financial fraud he's doing and of course you know this is presented as this you know attack yeah. of the of the deep state on a, a patriotic american who's trying to um you know save the world from nuclear armageddon well Know, helping the Reagan administration build like laser beam weapons the microwave soviet citizens <laughs> so you know um and it's funny if you talk to LaRouche people today and bring up the Star Wars stuff they'll try to say that he was like playing both sides and actually was going to like help the Soviet Union get their own system so that there would be like peace or whatever this convoluted story yeah. that makes no sense but it, um
2: it's the same reason that Trump was so close to Epstein right because he's right right yeah <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> and so larouche gets sent to um prison for a while and of course he does come back and while he's in prison it's kind of funny they kind of have like a catholic phase where like the, but the thing is they get like too into the catholicism so it threatens like larouche's own papal <laughs> authority so he has to like purge a bunch of people from his organization and you know so then you know larouche you know gets started back up in the 90s and it's um you know the 2000s you know, they come involved they get involved in the in the anti-iraq war movement you know and i, I know mm-hmm. people who were um recruited by them to canvass because they thought they were just like oh i want to you know i i am against the iraq war you know so i'll do canvassing for this group that you know seems to be doing something about it and then they find out and what's really going on they go oh, yeah, stay away stay away yeah and um you know there is the the case of jeremiah dugan um Mm -hmm. you know someone who was recruited on these grounds for the larouche movement who mysteriously died that's a whole rabbit hole if you want to look into that um so yeah they basically become this um you know they their big focuses you know is anti-war you know they they famously portray obama as hitler at rallies and you know they're they're um you know uh also very anti-environmentalist is a big thing there's this whole you know conspiracy of um you know the green fascism you know there you know i mean and it is true that you know you did have like you know the club of rome people there were like kind of like talks about overpopulation amongst like some of these like ruling class circles in you know the 70s and 80s that they kind of you know, can point to mm-hmm. as examples that there's this big malthusian conspiracy to you know depopulate the planet and you know you yeah, know he's hanging out with alex jones in the 2000s you know there's a you know I was looking around for LaRouche stuff, and there was a bunch of appearances of him on the Alex Jones show back in the day, you know. And, and uh, so they're growing as a movement. Well, not really growing as a movement. They're still going on as a movement, mm-hmm. and, you know, recruiting people. And 2019, you know, eventually LaRouche dies. And, um, you know, before he dies, there's the Trump phenomenon happens. And at first, you know, they're very distrustful of Trump. They think Trump is... You know part of the conspiracy is part of the um British family banking conspiracy or whatever. <laughs> but then like um they decide that Trump is actually on their side and they you know promote Donald Trump. And um you know this is where things get you know very strange because you know if you look at what LaRelouche is doing today. Mm-hmm. Like the big things are like um well of course still the anti-environmentalism stuff you know mm-hmm. like defeat green fascism was like the name of their big conference fairly recently like I think it was back in october when they had that and um they're also they're, they're still portraying themselves as an anti-war group
1: yeah i mean i um,
2: sorry
3: well i don't want to you know i don't want you know, to speculate too much but i do imagine like that you know they do probably have some connections with russian intelligence you know because Mm -hmm. that's what these people do is they build connections with intelligence groups and they'll work with whoever will kind of accept them and you know i don't want to like spread like paranoia about Mm -hmm. russia i don't want to like feed into that stuff but you know they they probably are you know there probably is something i mean just think about it you know
1: but um i i also want to make a point on that like to me it's not a surprise that they're more prominent in this conflict than the iraq war because right. the Iraq War was easy for easy, much easier for a liberal left to, it, even though the Democratic Party was complicit in the Iraq War, Bush was in the driver's seat. It was Republicans driving, so you could imagine you're more in opposition. Whereas this is it's more of a complicated situation by uh, for a number of factors. So they, to me, it's not a surprise that they're um, b- making more hay in an anti-war. Uh, 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 environment um, right um right. because there is mixed signals about this conflict compared to Iraq right
3: right I mean I'll just I'll just leave all my cards out on the table like mm-hmm. I, you know I'm very much like against arming ukraine and yeah. I'm very much against right. NATO and I think that the left has really screwed up in a lot of cases Absolutely. on this and not leave them you know, and so, you know, I think, you know, AOC and the squad have honestly, in my opinion, like, sold out the social imperialism, and you know, for their failure to, you know, have like a, a clear stance on this. And I understand, you know, Russia is, you know, a, a very unpleasant country. It's no one really wants to support Russia who's like progressive minded, you know, it's, you know, I understand the complexity, but I think that if you really look at the facts, you know, this is very much a conflict driven by U.S. imperialism and its desire to maintain hegemony. Yeah. And so you know, I think that what the Religious people are able to do is they're able to play on the weakness of the liberal left on this issue and right. portray themselves as a genuine opposition.
1: Which yeah. is a
3: serious and- situation because it, you know, it, it creates a, a gap allows you know a lot of confused people to kind of fall into the orbit of this group you know so
2: so i want to get back to that in just a second because we have some some clips that you sent us and i think these are really important which is like one of the reasons why i think like apart from just like this being you know interesting history like why i think it's actually worthwhile to like cover and talk about today is some of these recent interventions but before we talk about like what is going on right now and play some of these clips that you sent us um you know like 2019 you've been you know following this for a while larouche passes away did you have a sense that you know or a a feeling that this was going to sort of Mm. fizzle out and disappear were you surprised to see it sort of come up again right because it seems like you know one thing about cults particularly like cults around the genius you know figure like larouche who's synthesizing western philosophy classical music marxism and whatever the fuck else he's putting in there right I mean, like, were, were you surprised at it being able to maintain itself? Did you think in 2019, you know, that some of these things would go away? Or, um, you know, did you have a suspicion that it would at last even him?
3: I honestly did not know what to expect. I was yeah. surprised that LaRouche kind of had a comeback. I honestly, like, um, I mean. And would I, you
2: call it a comeback too?
3: A little bit, yeah. I mean, it didn't go away. Like, I was even, I've, I had run and ran into them in my own hometown like mm. like um campaigning for Trump even though it's there's actually a, it's kind of complicated because after LaRouche died the um LaRouche pack and became their own thing and then mm-hmm. the Schiller Institute which is held as that LaRouche which probably does honestly have the authentic like title of the continuation of LaRouche mm-hmm. but you know and, and they're, they're still, not yeah. as pro-Trump as the other split but they're both vaguely pro-Trump but you know the um the 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 Schiller institute people will criticize trump for like being hard on china because mm-hmm. one of their big things is like we need to like work with china to like build the bridge do, do the belt and road initiative which is interesting you know but um so they will critique trump but ultimately they still are like we need to like support the maga movement and stuff like that but but yeah like i had run into the larouche pack people campaigning for trump and stuff but you know it was always just like three people who honestly knew less about the actual history of LaRouche and i did when i would talk to them which is funny mm-hmm. but um yeah i didn't you know i i thought it would just kind of stay as a kind of weird irrelevant cult but um they, they've kind of been you know making a name for themselves and i i you know have people like sending me these clips you know, like oh man look at you know these guys like calling out aoc and it's like well mm-hmm. oh. Should tell you a little bit about who these people are you know
2: so yeah so let's let's play these and talk about it a little bit um because I, I think it's it's really important and like you know i don't know how many times we have to say what we think about this conflict matt because it seems like we're just perpetual um perpetually going to be called shitlips, no matter how much flack we get for saying that we don't think the us should be arming ukraine and we think that nato expansion is bad um but whatever that's personal gripe um you know, the thing is, as I think both of you all were saying earlier, like, you know, like they do have like this, this, tr- this path is open to them because of the kind of incomprehensible, incoherent general left um, position. And I'm including like a broad left here to, to like social liberals, to like socialists and even some Marxists, um, you know, and these clips, we, you know, we've we played them when they've come out. Um, I'll call him out by name just because, you know, he's leading these things and, and pushing it. Um jose vega um you know has gotten a lot of attention i mean these have had tremendous amounts of of, of views every time he's put out these these videos where they've basically shown up at, at aoc rallies or at rallies of other members of the squad and we'll play this one just a couple minutes from it um you know, and, and, and talk about a little bit, because, you know, the thing that whenever these videos come out, basically, as I'm sure you deal with Donald, like they come out and then you get all these people. It's like, well, I might not agree with them, but you got to hand it to them. And, you know, my personal opinion is like, I don't think you need to like be handing it to the LaRouche cult instead of, you should be supporting like the, lots of voices that are on the left who get a lot of flack for holding these positions instead of supporting a uh, cult members but anyway it's but- funny
1: to add tulsi on there too yes
3: that's an <laughs> important
1: point <You> know, <laughs> literal,
3: like, military intelligence operative
2: literally <laughs> right. if, if i recall correctly when this video came out tulsi was in africa um <laughs> you know doing special ops training with u.s military in africa right so like anti-imperialist tulsi is like literally active mission at this point, um, you know, being brought up again shows that like, you know, like you could say something about criticizing um, these members, um, you know, for some of their positions. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you're, you you know, your bullshit detector should start ringing when they start saying, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. But anyways, let's play a couple minutes of this for folks.
4: Congresswoman, none of this matters unless there's a nuclear war, which you voted to send arms and weapons to Ukraine. Tulsi Gabbard, she's left the Democratic Party because there are a who war hawks, okay? You originally voted, you ran as an outsider, yet you've been voting to start this war in Ukraine. You're voting to start a third nuclear war with Russia and China. Why are you playing with the lives of American citizens? You're playing with our lives. There will be no neighbors if there's a nuclear
3: bomb. You voted to mobilize and send money to Ukrainian Nazis. You're a coward. You're a progressive socialist. Where are you against the war mobilization? He's telling the right truth. You have done nothing. Tulsi Gabbard has shown guts where you've shown cowardice. I believed in you, and you became the very thing you sought to fight against that's what you've become you are the establishment and you are the reason why everybody will end up in a nuclear war unless you choose to stand up right now and denounce the democratic party will you do that
2: okay and um just before i throw to y'all i you know one note that this isn't us when we're talking about like the larouche angle here us sort of you know reading in between the lines you know jose vega the person who's posting this Think like Beethoven, uh, exonerate LaRouche. Yeah, and, Diane
3: Sayre for Senate, who was their candidate for, um, against Chuck Schumer, they were campaigning for.
2: And um, there's also a link here to go to the Schiller Institute, which, as you were saying, uh, again, is a LaRouche organization. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so when you when you see something like this, I mean, um, again, like it, these these went for, you know, <laughs> For, like, protest actions, I got to say, too, very rarely do these seem to sort of blow up in big ways. The ones that I've maybe participated in in the past, these ones went massive. Um, They really exploded. And I'm just curious, uh, Donald, to hear, you know, your sort of thoughts on this modern iteration and, like, the the kind of argument that, like, I've even seen some people in the, the chat saying something similar to this. It's like, these are the only people who are willing to stand up and say these things, so we should give them some credit.
3: Right. I mean, you know, it's, 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 we live in very politically confusing times. Like this is something I've been saying like quite a bit. It's like, you know, after the Bernie movement failed, you know, the left has really been without direction. We don't know whether we should be tailing Joe Biden or if we should be, you know, doing something else. And if we should be doing something else, what is that thing? And um, you know, you have this kind of rise of these, all these culture wars with the Republican party and, playing on on um you know a lot of the confusion in the left at times actually you have you know things like you know you have this kind of um you know, people like compact magazine and the MAGA communists who are trying to kind of like do this left-right synthesis and you know kind of play on a lot of the confusion at the times and i think the larouche stuff going on is very much a part of that like i said earlier like it's you know they're very much taking advantage of the of the weakness of the left mm-hmm. on on the whole question of of world war of not just with russia but with you know i think there's a lot of tensions rising with china right now and honestly like you know i i honestly think there will be war with china at some point and i think that um i'm very concerned about that and um you know i think the left really does need to get its act together on anti-imperialism without just kind of becoming like you know without, i don't think we should become like um you know putin simps or you know and mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we shouldn't go that direction. I don't think we should become like Duganist or whatever. But like, I think we do need to you know, take a clear stance of um, you know, around, you know, opposing um, the U.S. Empire's intervention around the world. And so, you know, I can understand why people would see these clips and be like, well, you know, at least someone is speaking out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say, like, I do think the U.S. state is a bigger enemy than the LaRouche cranks
2: yeah I, think like, right. I,
3: I do think that we shouldn't overstate you know the problem mm-hmm. but it is a problem and i think that you know they are taking advantage of the left's weakness and i think all we can really do is you know hold stronger to our principles and and and, and expose these people for who we are because i don't think these people are actually anti-war mm-hmm. they're just opportunists they're just trying to like latch on to whatever cause you know will help them build connections with intelligence ties around the world basically like you know if you read like larouche you know he has this whole article i basically like if you read between the lines he's basically calling for like using chemical and like nuclear weapons like around the world to launch this like insane global crusade that would make like any neocon blush Mm -hmm. you know like these people aren't anti-war you know they aren't like yeah principally anti-war they you know if, if anything they probably just they probably think that you know um they they probably want putin to intensify his war effort you know they don't actually want peace
2: yeah like a lot of the associated people effectively say things to that that yeah
3: yeah I mean they'll they'll talk about how they just want peace and uh, you know blah 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 but I mean I think that their actual agenda is a kind of takeover of the U.S. government and a mobilization of the war machine against you know everyone they see as their enemy you know, yeah. so it's. I don't think they're ever going to actually do that. I think the mm-hmm. people who are in control of the war machine right now are the bigger problem. But you know, people should know that these are these, these are not principled anti-war leftists. You know, or like even like anti-war libertarians. I think you could probably trust more than these people. You know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and right because. Sorry, what
1: were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, like, I hear about, like, from plenty of people, like, you're t- too easy on the squad for an imperial reasons, and the people who I'm impressed by making those points also aren't impressed by Tulsi Gabbard or plugging her every couple of sentences in a protest speech. Like, that is cult behavior. Because right. to not be critical of that, like, that's it's very off.
3: Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it speaks to the confusion of our times. You know, that um, it seems like you know. The only people who are speaking out are people like tulsi gabbard and, and trump so i think it really shows the importance of being critical just maintaining critical thinking and and, and not tailing whoever agrees with you on one thing you know i think they're there was that big uh, rage against the war machine rally that was like um it was organized by like like um the libertarian party and then the people's party like nick Burano's thing, which mm-hmm. is increasingly i think just a larouche front.
2: um, yeah like you know that's the thing that's you know interesting i'm curious you know what what your thoughts on it like because there's a few big like you know youtubers and things like that have been pushing it um hickle right man yeah
3: jackson hinkle you know his whole idea jesus christ i
2: always feel bad i always get him (laughs) mixed up with the degrowth or i'm sorry yeah association there yeah hinkle and then the other guy uh haas. haas yeah
3: haas haas al-din as they call him you know i've actually debated him a few times you oh, know, have you know, really? so- I've, I've actually known him for years
2: he was know- like a rev
1: left guy right
3: yeah he was on the rev left forum for a while he's the and, most um, interesting
2: out of them in my opinion but i'll leave that he is interesting
3: i will give him that i mean he's a raging reactionary like
2: like this yeah, stuff I lately
3: has so. just been disgusting like he's just like a raging like misogynist like it's you know just red pill type stuff you know and just anti-lgbt stuff like just you know he's, mm-hmm. he's you
2: know he, he actually is red brown like you know it's and like this bizarre attack on starbucks workers
3: uh, yeah yeah i mean that's just a dog whistle for women out of the workplace really. yeah i like, think so like you know whenever they make fun of starbucks workers they always like do this effeminate voice and like you know yeah I mean,
4: starbucks is 70
3: percent women as their yeah. workforce and so it's, it seems obvious to me that that's just a dog whistle for like get women back in the kitchen
1: yeah uh, I, I saw one de- i've only seen one thing of his there's a debate with that uh i forget what his name is the communist sort of econ professor guy oh no, richard wolf. wolf right no it wasn't richard wolf it was the other guy i, I wish i got richard wolf him.
2: went on that that's rough uh, I don't
3: know, actually, but, It was Acetar Bear, I think
2: maybe Acetar, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the
3: pro-Stalin professor who kind of got like famous oh. online for like defending Stalin.
1: Was that it? Yeah. So I, yeah. I saw this debate, and it was like Haas being like wanting to make uh hating countercultural people the like crux of a political campaign movement. Right, it's like, right. <laughs> it's like what I don't know what we're talking about right
3: now. I mean that's just classic LaRouche, mm-hmm. like
4: mm-hmm.
1: right. I mean, they like the whole
3: bashing thing, hating anything right. that's kind of counterculture and like you know trying to like kind of be like oh square you know traditional america is actually where it's at so if you want to be like a, a communist like you gotta you know put on your suit and stop smoking pot you know and mm-hmm. you know that kind of
1: um i mean that's the,
2: yeah. the, that's the thing that's interesting about hearing you give the telling of of Labrouche is that you can see that like these things that like i mean i'm sorry mag communism is just it's just goofy on his face yeah um, yeah you know but um you know the idea is not even new, right? Um, it's not even new to like the LaRouche, it's like classic, just dumb guy idea generally. Um, but you could see like LaRouche is, has been setting up the foundation for this forever, right? And it's not a right. new synthesis, it's literally just like let's just do it in 2022. 2022. They ran it right. back,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 super, it's super. I mean, I, I, I'll be curious to see, um, you know, how long this holds up I feel like some of those people have sort of played their bits a bit I don't think this is going to go away don't get me wrong um but I do think it had like a a moment um and uh you know I think it's a really important lesson and like I'd be curious um before before we let you go I mean you know one of the things that you said about the obituary that you wrote for LaRouche and you can see it in 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 this piece as well is like there's something about this that there's a little bit of a warning for people on the left you know and what kinds of advice or lessons you think people should draw from this chapter
3: well you know i think like when larouche was a marxist i think he had like the totally wrong idea about like how revolution would come about you know mm-hmm. i think his whole idea was you know you have your small group of you know, you know people and you know they're the vanguard and they have the right ideas and there's going to be like a crisis an economic crisis and there's going to be mass strikes and then your small group is going to kind of like intervene Mm-hmm. and lead everyone to socialism. And I mean, these ideas go all the way back to uh, Mikhail Bakunin. Um, you know, this was kind of his idea of how revolution would happen versus Marx, which was like, we need to, you know, we need to actually engage in mass politics and build mm-hmm. a mass party of the working class. I uh, we need to be for revolution, have a revolutionary platform. But we're going to engage in mainstream politics. We're going to run candidates. We're going to work in the union movement. We're going to patiently build up the forces of the workers' movement and, you know, bring a Marxist political program to the workers' movement. And we're going to build up the forces of the movement so that when a crisis does happen, something like that does happen, we have a center of power that can pose an alternative to the capitalist state, Mm -hmm. you know? And so LaRouche, in my opinion, like he never really understood the real Marxist strategy of of, um, revolution. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this strategy has kind of been forgotten. I think, um, you know, you have the kind of the common turn, in my opinion, kind of wavered between this correct strategy and a more kind of ultra left Bakuninist strategy of what I was mentioning before. And so I think that kind of dynamic when you have that kind of strategy of like your small vanguard is going to like you know intervene in the spontaneous movement you kind of you you start making like um it it kind of leads to a dynamic of of sectarianism that you know you need to protect the sanctity of your sectarian group and um it kind of can lead the cult dynamics i think and um you know i think um without any real strategy to actually build up the movement in mass politics you start looking for other kind of shortcuts to power other ways of um you know Especially when you have this idea that you yeah. need to do something now because the world is going to end if we don't like intervene. So you start like being like, oh well, maybe we should like work with um Mitchell Werbel III and the Grand Dragon of the KKK to stop the Rockefeller family, and maybe we should be you know, making stop the fascists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: You, know, because, yeah.
3: you know, the, the situation is just so dire that we need to do whatever we can to get our small group to have influence. And you know, so obviously the, the mass strike wave, you know, the the the, the you know the um. The rapture never happens, and so you start looking to, you know, other ways of, you know, getting your little sect in the power. And so I think, you know, you can kind of, you know, look at the history of LaRouche as an example of a failure of Mm -hmm. uh, a a far-left strategy that, I think, Mm -hmm. much of the far-left today still kind of clings to. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and so there's that, but there's also just, you know, the warning about, um, you know, uh, about just being, like, too (laughs) ideologically dogmatic and purist I think there's something to be said about that this you know the idea of like kind of like you know thinking that one brilliant theorist you know is going to like has all the ideas to fix the world Mm. and so you know whatever we need to do whatever we can it is a
2: very idealist you know I mean it's super goofy but it's so idealist right if we you know if Aristotle wins and Beethoven wins then you know we're good
3: (laughs) yeah exactly so I think there's there's a warning just about how you know through dynamics of political failure, small left groups can fall into the far right.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think you know, it's, it's, you know, you see, you know, the, the kind of temptation, you know, of the right today, you know, you have a lot of people, the right has money, mm-hmm. let's face it. So, you know, um, it makes sense to write for compact magazines are kind of hanging around those circles, because they will paid you better than, um, you know, Jacobin will pay you, you know, mm-hmm. which so and, and so the right does court the left the right does you know try they love disaffected leftists those are the most useful propagandists
4: mm-hmm. so
3: I, I do think you know like we we can't overstate threat and and in the name of like and end up kind of sanctifying liberalism and, and the kind of progressive liberalism that's you know is still like hegemonic i'd say you know we have to you know, be weary of um the of the pull that the right can have and their you know and their courting of Marxists and um, mm-hmm. You know, we need to resist that. We need to be principled, and we need to, you know, stick true to the the straightforward path you know, of um, solid Marxism. You know, I think Cosmonaut is, you know, we're trying to create a space for Marxism, a real Marxism. You know, to,
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, to have these debates about political strategy, about theory. You know, um, we have a lot of people who work in DSA and in the Marxist Unity Group, which I'm a part of. You know, so I think. You know, I I think it's just, you know, a question of you have to maintain, maintain your principles, maintain, you know, a solid, you know, Marxist background, but not fall into the sectarian mindset that you have all the answers and that everyone else is the enemy who needs to be destroyed because they're CIA or they're, you know, whatever.
2: Yes, which is a great weapon because, you know even if it's not true it can cause a lot of damage right like the idea of like everyone else is FBI CIA um then you're right like we need to be able to treat
3: like political differences in the left as serious that we need to be able to debate them out but we also need to be able to you know not make each other into Schmidian enemies where the, the conflict is so existential that you know you know they need to be destroyed or whatever like you know like I have my disagreements with the CPUSA Mm-hmm. You know, I, but I'm not going to like tell my, you know, my comrades to go attack them with baseball bats. Yeah. like I'm we're going not going to, to dick Sporting
1: Goods. <laughs> yeah.
3: I'm going to engage their members in respectful debate. You know, I'm going to be clear about my differences with them. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, hide differences in the name of unity, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I still, you know, we're, I'm going to, you know, engage with the left in good faith because I think that really is, um, you know, I, I still ultimately think that you know we we can't just like start a new sectarian group because most of the left sucks. We need to actually engage the existing left and mm-hmm. win them over to a solid Marxist program. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm in DSA, and that's why I you know I work with a lot of people who you know I will probably see me as you know too extreme or whatever, or I see them as too reformist. But you know I you know i think that um it's, it's we got to do mass politics and we have to be yeah. told about it but we have to nonetheless you know be able to to actually do mass politics
1: that's a more uh, that's a more people trusting uh, approach than the conspiracy minded they're all uh secretly CIA meanwhile we're partnering with you know arms dealers like yeah. right
4: right
2: <laughs> well Donald I really appreciate um you spending some time with us tonight we'll have to do it again soon people should read the piece in the new print edition of Jacobin how Lyndon LaRouche said goodbye to Marxism and hello to crazy uh before you go um you mentioned it before but could you give people um a sense of what Cosmonaut is and uh let them know where they can go to check it out
3: yeah go to cosmonautmag.com um we have been operating since 2018 me and uh, you know a group of um friends you know that just been talking for a while online and you know and i knew in person as well and you know i I had a group in tampa for a while and you know we had just been saying like you know i think we should um start a publication a kind of um marxist think tank almost like uh Bill, we will have our we have a perspective on what is correct for the US left, but we're going to engage in dialogue and and publish people that we disagree with, for example, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a kind of pluralistic and open publication that will, um, you know, give a space for the, uh, you know, the actual Marxist left to engage in these debates and, and and hash these things out. So, you know, we we usually have like two articles in a podcast every week. Um, Sometimes, you know, it doesn't always work out because it's an all-volunteer operation. But um, you know, we we do make sure to have a steady stream of content and we have a lot of letters to the editor. A lot of people write letters to us, and that's kind of um so we don't have comments on our articles and say we have letters because you know, I think comment sections, people just shoot the shit. They don't really think about what they're going to say. But I find having a letter section means you have to actually sit down and think about what you're gonna say and so we have a lot of um a lot of back and forth in the letters section we have articles and people writing responses to each other and you know we do have like a general kind of editorial line and perspective but as i said you know we publish different perspectives and we engage in respectful debate you know you can support us on patreon Um, we also print books we have some stuff in the works we have um a book on the history of the gay movement actually in the u.s that's um in the works, it's kind of a, you know a critical investigation of um, you know, it goes into the relation of Marxism and gay politics, and we have um, you know we have a few other books. We have um, we did a reprint of Bukharin's Historical Materialism, which is a kind of a classic Bolshevik text. Um, so we're we're working on that. You know, the the print stuff is a bit slower because it's it's like I said, it's an all volunteer operation for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. I don't make a cent from it, so you know but
2: uh no people should yeah. you know, people and, should even... read it and support i always get a lot out of it I, I, yeah. I do appreciate all the work that y'all do there and you know thank you so much for it um donald appreciate you coming on the show so much we'll have to do it again soon folks uh, there'll be links below for you to follow donald's work uh thanks again friend
3: awesome thank you so much for having me on i had a really good time talking about all this
2: hell yeah man thank you donald talk to you soon all right yeah, that was awesome. Um, people really uh, do read and check out and support if you can. Cosmonaut, it's a it's a really great resource, and I think uh, people should be checking it out more if you're not familiar with it. Um, yeah, that's
1: awesome. I was telling Donald before we uh, we went live the uh, the LaRouche stuff is something I've been hearing since I have been working at Majority Report. Is there a certain mm-hmm. part of our audience who is very like? On that alarm, and I think some of them were, I think overshooting, mm-hmm. uh, like calling like Will Menaker. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's
2: classic. I mean, I get accused of it too because I support, you know. Well, you are. Yeah, you
1: love his oh. nuclear fusion stuff. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. But but it's it's wild to see that that whole little uh, MAGA communism slash like their little patriotism thing uh, run the same playbook. It's like it's you know. Uh, end
2: around it's the exact same one and we're going to go to the post game in just a second folks patreon.com slash left reckoning but before we do that um we're going to take a quick view here um in to to the state of texas which um for people who don't know we're coming to the end of our legislative session um which is always a little bit of a mixed bag for me um knowing that one um you know the republicans obviously are in control it is a sprint to do some of the nastiest, most evil anti-human shit possible. And the question becomes not whether or not they're going to get away with doing some awful shit, um, but just how much um, they're going to be able to get away with before um, we look at some of these bills and things like that. I have to share this. This is from this weekend because there's trouble in paradise for the Republican Party in the state of Texas. Uh, this is a video of Dade Phelan. And if you don't know who that is, he he's Speaker of the House in the state of Texas. And both chambers are run by Republicans, dominant party here. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with Texas politics, there is this rivalry between the Senate and the House um, that oftentimes gets in the way of them doing, you know, some of the attacks on 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 trans people, on gay people, on workers. Um, not as much as we would like, but it's always like an interesting little riff that they're fighting with one another.
1: Yeah. Is this an institutional rift or is it, uh, is there a little bit of an ideological component where one's more of it, a House Freedom Caucus and one's more of an old guard?
2: Lately, I don't want to praise either of them because they're just so nasty. Um, of lately, so. feeling in the House, there's a little bit more room for negotiation there for the Democratic Party. So they sometimes put out, um, or like they might moderate a Republican bill or something like that. But okay. I think that's just like sort of um more reflective of today but historically in texas there's always been a rivalry between the house and the senate right it's just like gotcha. old school stuff but anyways this comes out um they're doing another one of these late late sessions and i'm not going to play uh just trust me on this this is not how dave Phelan typically uh, communicates mr campbell send amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author is there objection to the opposite amendment the, children none the amendment. amendment is adopted the chair recognizes Mr Mr Johnson of Harris Mr Johnson of Harris to speak in
3: opposition to
2: the bill <laughs> so he, he's gone he's absolutely gone who knows what it is uh, i haven't heard an official response yet from his office um seems to me as somebody who does drink a decent amount sounds like alcohol to me maybe something else um, but obviously, is inebriated in that clip. That's
1: yeah. To me, that's just booze and pills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. And again, this was a pretty really late. Goes.
2: This was a pretty late session. Um, and yeah. as Matt and I were saying, there is an American tradition <laughs> of yeah. legislating while intoxicated.
1: Around the punch bowl, literally, like the uh, Virginia when it used to meet in Williamsburg. All those motherfucking plantation owners. That was society. The only time they got off the plantation. Uh, and to go, uh, socialize was around the punch bowl. And also when they did the public business. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not new, but I'm surprised. Like you said, there hasn't immediate, I've seen this happen. Like politicians have been under the, in, under in, like intoxicants and in, it, often it's prescription pills. Um, and you just say, uh, a combination of exhaustion and medication caused the, uh, candidate or whoever politician to do this they're recuperating and it's over but there's that but i guess when you have uh, certain uh rivalries within the legislature that doesn't get to happen
2: and they're starting to boil over and just reminding folks too if you're not familiar texas just recently expelled a house republican um for sexually assaulting a member um an intern a young intern feeding underage people alcohol um one of the first times texas like I think the last time it was like in the 1900s and people who know more than me might be able to tell me the reason, but I wasn't even able to find it. Um, So something pretty historic happened where there is like this kind of behavior and ethics question in the House, which if you know anything about Texas politics, it's like very, very low bar um, for what is like appropriate behavior um, or not. But feeling has been getting a lot of attacks from the right, um, from Dan Patrick, from Ken Paxton, from Donald Trump. Um, they've been going on calling him recently California the California Dade. Um, he's never lived in California. He's from Texas. The, the, the basically he posted a picture of him with a surfboard, being like, "I'm ready, for, like looking forward to my summer." Right, once the legislature's out of session, and they've just jumped on that. So there's
1: there there are but you can't horses. surf you, you can't surf in the uh, no Texas. you surf
2: there you surf but you know they're okay. calling California Dade, which oh, again sorry. I think is. Um, a, a missed opportunity because california feeling is i think it's it's a much better frame <laughs> right <laughs> anyway the, trump has been attacking so there's a bunch of people who've been attacking and again he's a republican he's not a good guy anything like that uh, texas attorney general ken paxton this like right before we went live um released a statement um like literally an hour before we started the program um demanding that he resign so this is ken paxton statement from texas attorney general pa- ken paxton after much consideration is with profound disappointment that i call on speaker dade Phelan to resign at the end of this legislative session texas were dismayed to witness his performance presiding blah 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 so there's a bunch of people who have it out for for date and you know part of it has been um about these fights that are going on between the senate and i won't bore everybody with them but you know there's questions about what kind of tax cuts we give to the rich how much how exactly we do that right these aren't principled things these are just like who's willing to be more evil than the other um and there's like a concerted effort to wage war on him we bring all of this up um just to give people a quick recap of what's happening um in the texas legislature texas is a massive state these things are coming to a neighborhood near you if you live in the south unfortunately um and, uh, you know, you see these kind of fights, though, it's like Dave Feeling being drunk on stage, all of this nonsense. Um, and you think that, like, you know, Texas government might have some things together, together and maybe had done some things um, in this session. Um, you know, tomorrow is the one year anniversary of the Uvalde shooting, um, and they're even the most moderate gun Program, gun reform program, was completely scrapped um, by the Texas legislature. Um, not only that, but I, I just have to mention it, tremendous abuse done to the families of Uvalde. Like even if you don't agree with the, the, the proposal, for example, of raising the minimum wage to buy um an AR-15 in the state of Texas. Um, the the the, the pain that they put these families through because these families were coming and they were testifying. Um, in support of some basic gun reform bills here. And the 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 ledge was doing the most sick stuff to them. They tell them that the hearing would be at 9 a.m. And then the hearing would get moved to 9 p.m. And these families would sit there after driving for hours from Uvalde to Austin um, and have to sit all day in the legislature. Just like, you know, it's one thing not to do anything for these families. It's one thing to treat them the way that they do, and that's disgusting enough. But it's a whole other level of callousness to not even put up the um the airs that like we're trying to listen to trying to understand you i mean really doing horrific horrific stuff to these families these are the major bills that are still in the works um in in the state of texas i won't go through them all um a few of these look like they are they're they're likely to pass um the only thing they have to do is allocate the budget there's still fights about that Um, There's a big fight about how they want to cut property taxes in the state. Um, That's a big Senate House fight Um, addressing school safety, which is a bunch of nonsense about door sizes and crap like that doing very little for kids, Um, restricting trans athletes in college sports. Again, like a major, major issue for for everyday people right now. It's a fringe freak out thing by the right wing banning DEI offices in colleges, ending tenure in the state of Texas. And I was saying to Matt before the show, you know, with all this other stuff that they're trying to do, it's hard to get super worked up about that. But it's absolutely insane um, to attack the universities in the way that they are, while also trying to court big tech companies to come here. Because what does that mean? If we kneecap our education system in the state of Texas, who are going to be the people working at Apple and Google and all these corporations that are moving to the state of Texas? In the state of Texas, it ain't going to be Texans. It's going to be more people from out of state taking the high paying jobs that they're bringing in here. Um, you know, more stuff about drag bills um, and uh etc. The only things that have been passed and are going to go to Abbott is banning care for trans children, um, health care for trans children, um, allowing murder charges for fentanyl uh, poisoning, and HB 2127, which we talked about last week, um, which is one of the most anti worker bills on the docket. It sounds simple, but what it does is it basically restricts the ability of cities like Dallas, Austin, Houston and San Antonio for putting forward basic kind of workers protections. We had Gus Bova on the program recently to talk about the abuse that people were facing at Musk's factories here that led have led to deaths of workers um, because they have very little workers protections here. Um, This preempts. City governments and local governments for being able to put up any kind of protections for workers um, mandating things like water breaks, um, you know, uh, and and a whole host of other, you know, pro worker policies so basically kneecapping uh, democracy because it allows people who it it denies people who live in these cities remember the vast majority of Texans live in cities right apart despite like our kind of ethos and perception of being a very rural state most texans live in these major metropolitan areas state politics are foreclosed to them so the only way that you can get a lot of these protections for workers is by passing them on the municipal level that passed with a whole shitload of corporate money behind it things that have failed so far education savings account which is their attempt to privatize schools in texas that probably will come back because there's a special session uh greg abbott will probably call a special session he has the power to bring the legislature back and say we've got to do this so probably we'll see that again um raising the age to buy guns um as i said failed uh, authorizing casinos um failed raising minimum sentence for gun crimes and restricting foreign land ownership which was another ludicrous, insane right-wing thing that did fail um We talk about all this because, you know, things are rough in in the state of Texas. And, you know, there's a lot of stories about the things that are happening with the war on trans people, the war on migrants, um, the war on workers and the lack of any kind of movement on basic, basic gun uh, safety programs in the state. I bring all of this up to talk about something that looks like it may happen. We've talked about a lot of these bills on this program. We had Steven um, from Texas Observer on last week to talk about the attack on trans people in the state. I wanted to talk just a little bit on the, about the border before we go. Um, and before we get to Texas, I wanna remind people of like the serious crisis that's having human costs here. And this is a federal problem. Two recent deaths, one of an eight-year-old Panamanian girl And another of a 17 year old young man from honduras is highlighting the cruelty that we are still exposing human beings to on our southern border um anita tanya reyes alvarez became unresponsive this is this eight-year-old child after her third trip to medics at a border patrol station here in texas she later died at a u.s hospital she died after being held by federal in, in federal custody by custom and border patrol agents for nine days six days longer than what is official u.s policy for how long they're supposed to be able to hold migrants for she was diagnosed with influenza on her sixth day in custody this young uh, girl's mother mabel alvarez benedicts pleaded with agents to hospitalize her daughter earlier after she was feeling extreme pain in her bones in her bones she was struggling to breathe and she became immobile She was only transported to a hospital after she fell unconscious and began bleeding from her mouth. This mother told the Associated Press that Border Patrol agents said her condition was not serious enough to hospitalize her before that. Thousands of people are being held at the border, and it's made worse, yes, by right-wing judges like the federal judge in Georgia, who blocked a faster release of migrants, which has created these bottlenecks and has made a crisis even worse. But here's the thing, is this crisis is not new. We've talked on this show about migration, Trump, and how Biden has dropped some of Trump's policies and made others more permanent. Most notably, keeping the requirements that refugees apply for asylum at a third country if they cross it before being eligible um, for asylum in in the United States, which is a human right. This is not like a question for, you know, um, political interpretation. This is a clear as day human right. Um, This is from the CBP. People who cross illegally will be deported, barred from re-entering the United States for at least five years and presumed ineligible for asylum. So they're creating this bottleneck where tens of thousands of people are at the border. And if somebody gets gets caught trying to cross the border illegally, they will be barred from entry to the United States of America for five years. That's a new policy. That's a Biden policy that they're putting up, denying people their right to asylum. They did create an app, though, Matt. One that struggles to capture people's faces unless they, if they have darker skin complexion than mine. I mean, it is. I'll
4: well, update it later.
2: It is a crisis that has been made worse over decades. I bring up the federal level here because there has been a lack of appetite for generations now to do something serious on the border. It's created this humanitarian crisis. Trump made it worse. Biden's making it bad. Um, But these things did not even start there. This has been a complete failure for decades now to do very, very basic things um, at the border. And there needs to be much more of a federal push, like all the all the frustration that people were feeling for the deaths and the suffering that people were experiencing under Trump. It has been way too quiet under Biden. And this is not to say that it's all Biden. We're going to get to Abbott in just a second. Um, But this is something that is a humanitarian crisis. There are people right now suffering under the system. Um, And it is way too quiet. It is way too complacent. As you're seeing literal children dying in squalor because we have this insane border system in this country. I want to go to Abbott because there's another um, set of bills here that could potentially pass that are extremely dangerous, extremely nasty, and we need to take seriously. Um, HB 20 and HB seven, which have now been combined, um, into, I believe HB seven, it looked for a second, like HB 20 was going to fail, but through, you know, parliamentarian maneuver, they saved it at the last minute. What does it do? It will create a border force from the state government of Texas. Again, Abbott has been trying to do parallel federal operations to Joe Biden's operations. A very clear, in my opinion, front to the entire concept of federalism and you need much more, you know, Joe Biden will say things like, you know, casual throwaway comments like, oh, Abbott hasn't done very much for people. Fucking get some spine and say, we're not going to let a state government basically run parallel operations to the federal government. This one is extreme. We've talked about Operation Lone Star, which was a mobilization of the Texas National Guard, where not only were migrants um, experienced incredible abuse and death, but literally even Texas National Guard members were experiencing death because they were being put out in very dangerous situations without the equipment support that they need, right? And they shouldn't be there in the first place. It's cost the state billions of dollars. It was um, justified by using COVID-19 at at first, much like Trump's Title 42. um, This bill is going to create a border force and deputize non-law enforcement actors Um, They're supposedly supposed to be nonviolent. You might not be familiar with the history of of Texas, but Texas border operations where you start deputizing everyday people to start terrorizing migrants has a horrific history in the state. Um, this bill is a very, very clear attack on people's basic human rights. It will do nothing to alleviate the crisis at the border and do everything to terrorize people while Abbott can take pictures of himself instead of in front of armored cars and people holding machine guns, putting up barbed wire on our border um, and, and and attacking human beings. Um The members of this policing force, I just have to say again, would not have to be law enforcement officers. I think it's bad enough when we have law enforcement officers out there. Imagine just sending out random people, right, with I'm sure like the most bullshit amount of training. I wanted to read before we end something that Bob Leibel, um, who we've interviewed on this show when he ran for uh, Travis County Commissioner here, um, is now working with Human Rights uh, Watch. And he gave testimony on this bill, and I want to read some of the things that he said because I think it highlights this crisis very, very clearly, and something you should all be paying attention to. This is from Bob. Um, Operation Lone Star has violated has violated the right to be free from racial discrimination and the right to seek asylum under U.S. and international law by employing a separate and unequal state criminal justice system to target migrants, including asylum seekers, and the United States citizens near the Texas border for arrest, criminal prosecution, and imprisonment. In two separate complaints, several Texas-based civil rights organizations analyzed 484 arrests under Operation Lone Star and concluded the arrest involved severe racial disparities and clear indications of profiling based on race and national origin. The operation raises sufficient concerns about possible violations of the United States non-discrimination laws that, according to media sources, it is currently under investigation by the United States Department of Justice." Law enforcement personnel working with Operation Lone Star have aggressively used selective enforcement of the misdemeanor offense of criminal trespass to justify the arrest and detention of thousands of alleged migrants in a newly created segregated criminal justice system. With separate dockets public defender assignments jails and booking facilities simply put people not perceived as migrants do not face the same criminal penalties for the same actions hb 7 would codify much of the system by establishing special border protection courts and hb 20 would exacerbate this problem by creating a new third degree felony charges of criminal trespass Human Rights Watch urges you to oppose HB twenty and HB seven, which together amount to a dangerous and extreme effort to expand expand Texas's troubled and abusive border policing program and allow state-sponsored vigilantes to participate in these programs. These bills propose a system of criminal enforcement, and state-sponsored vigilantes, that sure to result in new and widespread incidents of human rights abuses in the state of Texas. And again, that's from Bob Leibel Um, this. Is not going to go away unless there's serious action from Congress and serious action and care from the Biden administration. And the Biden administration has been too happy uh, to continue a lot of the abusive practices of Trump, it's been too happy to watch the authority of the federal government be usurped by Governor Greg Abbott, um, and is playing political games with people's lives. It's not just Biden, it's the Republicans too. But the fact is, is that while Republicans and Democrats are playing politics with each other, children are dying at the border. It's an inhumane system. It is an inhumane system that people need to be taking seriously just because um, and and not ignore it just because um, the president of the United States right now is a Democrat, not a Republican. You're a quiet man.
1: Just generally speaking, like um, America can. One, accept far more uh, immigrants to this country, um, re- refugees or not. I mean, we're breaking international law with Title 42 itself by not continuing to um, allow refugees to come, which has helped create this problem. But just generally speaking, like until we're at a place where we say like we can both accept people coming here and uh, have uh, workers' lives improved, like those both those things are both possible but like the democratic party can't elaborate that (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and like it's a very scary thing to see the amount of paranoia about like oh there's more people coming here like i hear this because i live in a a small state in north dakota more people come in here than live in the entire state. It's like that's happened our entire lives Mm -hmm. like (laughs) right like like we have a small state but guess what there's a lot of room and guess what north dakota hasn't filled up yet and so like like and and this idea that and, and i'll just bring this in um fucking jd vance uh do i have this uh accessible here i don't know i do but jd vance put up this thing the other day showing like you. yeah re- re- wage increases uh and rent increases and then says, letting in too many people drives up housing costs for normal Americans, stop Biden's border crisis, and stop his war on home affordability. And it's like, first of all, people's income growth should be going up higher than it has been. Um, and second also of like, all, wait, like, this
2: be, Sorry, Matt. Not yeah. to keep going. But, like, let's just be very clear. If you're watching this or listening to it later and you can't follow right. um, the, the the chart – if you were to just skim it, you would see, you might think that this yellow line at the bottom is migration. Yeah. It's not. It's income growth. It's right. showing that we have a housing crisis. People's incomes are not matching the, the prices that they're having to pay for rent. Completely separate issue from immigration.
1: And and, they, and like the net migration is down. Like, I mean, Justin Wolfer's pointing out the thing, like uh, year of year, it's not like this idea, The the only way that housing prices are explainable by people coming from fucking Mexico is if the spike uh, happened, if there was a massive spike in immigration recently, like to co- to like uh, correlate to that. And no, like that's not that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it is happened, it, it, it's JD Vance being a sort of plant to protect for this guy, right? It's at the top of the show.
0: But I ended up putting her into one of my slow clips. She paid me on it. Clockwork. She was fine. She paid late every single month the entire time, but she always paid. So now you have your payment of eight seventy-five plus your eighty-seven dollar fifty cent late fee every single month. She completely paid off the house. It's it's this. This is why.
1: This is why because there's a conspiracy in and and this every place real estate owns the government. Okay, and what do they want? Do they want? say the government, to come in and make a whole bunch of more capacity available? Well, what happens if the government makes a whole bunch of really nice uh, apartments, apartments Mm -hmm. that we would all wanna live in, and let's say there's a lottery for it, they make 100 units. What happens to the cost that those landlords can demand for their units, which are gonna be substandard to that? They they are a conspiracy against producing housing. The idea that you would point towards uh, disempowered minority. I'm sorry, man. But
2: like, that is, uh, that's fascism. to me. It's it is 100% um, a tool for the right, because as as long as there is no real political appetite for dealing with this crisis and doing things like funding um, operations to make sure that we have a humanitarian border, um, you know, maybe having systems where you can help people who come to this country um, get to where they want to go. Right. Um, have things like not making our immigration system the most dysfunctional and broken system and actually having like a reasonable path to citizenship for people who want to come to this country, right? Mm -hmm. As long as there is a lack of interest and real effort from the Democratic Party um, to do something on this, the right is going to be able to point to immigration and, and chalk up every kind of crisis of capitalism to it. It's wrong. It's factually wrong. It's a great tool for them which is why yeah. Abbott is spending billions of dollars right now to harass people, do very little to curtail migration. Um, it does a lot for Abbott to be like, oh, Abbott's a real guy who's tough on the border. Meanwhile, we're spending billions of dollars to do what? To boost Greg Abbott's campaign and not to mention, enrich a bunch of other capitalists because that money goes somewhere that goes to uniforms, that goes to food, that goes to cars, that goes to all the kind of th- things that they're using. And it has been a bonanza with very little oversight. In fact, a lot of the people have been making a lot of money from these billions of dollars that the state of Texas has spent instead of doing things like taking care of our kids in schools, um, you know, helping to do something about the housing crisis in this state, instead of doing anything like that. It's been literally going into the pockets of people who donate a lot of money to Greg Abbott, Right. Um, it is like a a fundamental cynicism of American politics that allows this crisis to continue. Um, and you know, we, we need to be, to be smart and actually start coming up with some, you know, real serious solutions and advocating for those, um, because this can't continue anymore. The stakes are too high and they've been too high for a very long time.
1: Uh, some good news on, uh, uh, from up North, uh, from Robin, who is on our show, um, uh, developers who—well, pro- this is for Star Tribune headline. Just in, a federal judge upheld St. Paul's rent control law nearly a year after two apartment building owners filed a lawsuit claiming it was unconstitutional. And Robin says, developers who profit off our housing are going to do everything they can to protect their profits from lawsuits to capital strikes. We've seen it all since the people of St. Paul passed the strongest rent control in the country. And I mean, that's it. That's the conspiracy. That's where this housing is. That's why you're paying too much for rent for too shitty of an apartment. It's those
2: motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And that's the answer, too. You can't wait from up from the folks up high to deliver. <laughs> the Democrats have shown year after year, cycle after cycle, uh, there's very little appetite for them to deal with this crisis. Um, and the only thing that's going to, you know, be a solution to that is building the kind of people power that we've seen um, start to take root in places like Minneapolis, um, and hopefully more will come. Folks, we're going to go over the post game patreoncom left reckoning. we'll be taking your calls and questions, watching a couple clips, hanging out, we having a beer uh join us will be a lot of fun uh we always we'll love getting you.
1: uh we'll be getting uh yeah, we're, we're, get, we're
2: gonna go feeling style in the You're post so we'll the <laughs> <out. Yeah>. <laughs> Um, <laughs> folks come and join us over there patreon.com slash left reckoning um and help support the show and help us grow it's really great having donald on and yeah we'll be there about 10 minutes or so so see you there peace